This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello and welcome to The North in Numbers, a podcast that gets the human stories behind the stats. I'll be your host, Annie Goke. As a data journalist, I write local news stories based on statistics for regional papers up and down the country. Each fortnight, I'll be looking at the figures that particularly affect the North and speaking to experts and those most affected to get their take on the issues facing our communities. This week, I'll be looking at the effects of austerity when it comes to council spending and what that has meant in terms of cuts to local services. We'll be showing what the situation looks like across the North as a whole, I'm focusing on Hull as an area that has been hit particularly hard. I'll be joined by local councillors, union members, teachers and library campaigners as they delve into the devastating impacts of these cuts. The light at the end of the tunnel's been switched off and bottom line is that makes people get angry and upset and their, their resilience and everything goes out the window. So, you know, it's, it's for me personally, I've got three, I've got three young kids, well, youngish, and I'm really concerned, you know, for the future. Aid Kennett is the whole branch secretary at Unison, the largest trade union in the country. He and his colleagues have been at the coalface of council cuts for the last 10 years. When the Conservative Lib Dem coalition came to power, they began a campaign of budget cuts that has seen central government funding to local authorities more than halved between 2010 and 2020. This reduction of central funding, combined with an increasing demand for social care services, has meant that councils have had to cut down on spending on other areas, for example, refuse collection and road maintenance. But while bin collections and potholes are common bugbears for local residents, the effects of these cuts are far more wide-ranging. Core spending power is the total amount of money that councils have to run services, which includes money raised through council tax and charges for things like parking, as well as central government funding. Since 2010-11, councils across the North have seen their combined spending power drop from £15.1 billion in 2010-11 to £12.1 billion in 2019-20. When inflation is taken into account, along with the growing population, that works out as a loss of around £466 per person. That's £30 more per person than the national average. Studies have found that it's deprived northern towns, which have the worst levels of poverty and the weakest economies, that are being hardest hit. That is certainly the case in Hull, which is one of the most deprived cities in the country and has seen some of the worst cuts. Since 2010-11, the council has seen its spending power fall in real terms by around £551 per head. Linda Tock is a Lib Dem councillor for Holderness in Hull. It's had a massive impact, you know, and certainly for Hull, if you, if you sort of think that, you know, we are the third most deprived authority, so you can imagine that tells you something. In terms of just the general funding that we get, we've lost 27.6% of the funding since 2015. So, you know, there's had to be, you know, lots of different cuts right across the board, um, it's had a massive impact on people's lives. And we are seeing the impact. You know, there are more food banks than ever before. Out of our population, we've got 23,000 children living in poverty. You know, that is an absolute disgrace when you actually think we're the, the fifth richest country in the world. The drop in funding has meant that the council are now spending far less per person in almost every area, whether that's housing, education, social care or transport. Aid explains how that's affected the people who actually provide these services. 
overall, we've had a massive, massive impact in the city. I think that across the board, across the council, when I first started in the council, there was approximately 13,000, 14,000 employees. Now we're at about four, four and maybe four and a half because there's a number of part-time workers involved in that as well. But So as it stands, that's re resulted in the amount of workload and pressure increasing on the staff that are left. I mean, obviously people come into local government, they don't come in to become millionaires, they come in because they've, they've got some you know, belief in public services, got some belief in trying to make things, you know, provide those vital services that people need. And there was always this narrative that came from the government about, um, you know, cutting off the fat and all this rubbish, which in reality was people's jobs, good paid jobs, good pensions, decent terms and conditions that have been won and fought for over a lot of years by, you know, trade unions like, like Unison. So the, the impact of the cuts has been major, really. I think that we see it in the streets when you walk around in homelessness. I think that we've seen our looked after figures. We've seen it in the amount of, um, you know, stress levels across the board, across the workforce. And that's right the way through from, you know, right the way through the, the pay grades from, the, you know, the top to the, from the bottom to the top. Um, so we've seen a, a big cut in pay in terms of conditions, people doing more for less. Um, so the, the cuts have been absolutely devastating for Hull. They've, they've, they've absolutely devastated people. The council workforce have done a really, really good job in sort of masking a lot of it because they're, they're out there and they're covering stuff and they're running around like, you know, headless chickens. But the bottom line is it's, it's a perfect storm now. It's, it's come to a point where really it can't give any, it, it's, it, they've had enough. One area where cuts have been a particular concern is children's social care. Since 2010-11, the amount that Hull Council has been able to spend on children's social care has fallen in real terms by £221 for every child under the age of 18. At the same time, demand for these services is higher than ever before. As of March 2019, there were 796 children in Hull being looked after by the council. While it's not possible to compare that figure to 2010, the number has risen year on year since 2015, when there were 661 children in care in the city. A child who's being looked after by their local authority might have been placed in care voluntarily by parents struggling to cope, or children's services may have intervened because a child was at significant risk of harm. They might be living with foster parents, at home with their parents under the supervision of social services, in residential children's homes, or other residential settings like schools or secure units. Nikki Osborne is the Unison Convenor in Hull. Um, so in 2011, all of the early intervention services were cut. So the services in the hall were absolutely fantastic. And we had, you know, services that had won awards. We all worked really, really closely together across the board. And all of that went because they had to cut the money and so therefore could only provide statutory services. So everything has ended up in crisis and, in, you know, re with really, really complex needs. So the social workers, which is really, you know, they are the frontline workers. They're the ones that are taking the brunt of this. So there isn't any like child in need cases that they do. There's no let up. They're really, really complex cases. Um, their workload is absolutely through the roof. They do loads and loads of unpaid overtime. Morale is very low. Um, they don't, they're not providing the services that they, you know, they, they want to provide. It's absolutely impossible. They're just firefighting at the moment. So we're in a dire position. It has all been a perfect storm, really. And it looks like it's going to continue for the foreseeable future. Bottom line, they have kids who are saying, I don't want another social worker. I've had five, I've had enough. You know, at the end of the day, the corporate parenting and, and the, the, we're failing these children and families. And, you know, we speak to people from different health and everywhere and they're going into cases and they're very, very traumatic for people to deal with. You know, you're dealing with very, very raw emotions. You're seeing children that are 
in real real poverty and suffering and the reality of the situation is that we we're just the, the social workers and the family support workers and everyone is just trying the best housing you know to get things stuff sort of to maintain it but they can't because the bottom line is it boils down to money you know if people have got no you know finances there's no giving the system then it gradually just up increases through the, the level of need and scale and then it ends up being all heavy-ended and that's where we're at. Nikki explains the toll that these cuts are taking on social workers in the city. So they're working absolutely loads of unpaid overtime. Our sickness figures are ridiculous. Um, the vast majority of our sickness is because of stress, workplace stress, anxiety and depression. Um, what we do get a, a lot is feedback from members about the impact on their families really um, and we're all from Hull and Ada and I background is, is children's services and Sarah's is adults so and Hull is like a big city so we know the partners and the wives and the husbands of, of our members affected and it really really impacts on their relationships and they miss out with their children growing up and they miss out on absolutely all sorts and you know and they are not treated any better for that at all so you know a lot of them end up living in regret when things go wrong for them and they think well actually I've missed out I've missed my family life because I've prioritized other things and it's not just children's social care adult social care has also taken a big hit in Hull council spending on these services which include support for people with disabilities has seen a real terms drop of 103 pounds per head in the last 10 years again that comes against the backdrop of increasing demand for services as an aging population means more and more people are requiring care Sarah Littlewood is Hull's Deputy Branch Secretary at Unison. In terms of adult social care, again, along with all services in local government, there's been the, the massive uh, cuts to budgets has affected the services. We've had a mass outsource of services. The in-house service provision actually delivered by the local authority uh, employed staff is minuscule in comparison to what it was. Uh, the privatisation, so the outsources and services, we now commission private providers to provide the majority of support that we might have available. The impact there has been not only uh, the quality of the care has gone down in terms of the support that those service users need, um, it's not available or it's available in, in, in very sort of watered down versions. Councils have been given the power to increase council tax in order to help cover the cost of adult social care. But as Sarah explains, this does little to help in deprived northern areas such as Hull. It also means that the burden of social care is falling on the taxpayer rather than central government. Uh, the government's answer is to say to local governments that you can put council tax uh, charges up. In Hull, we're a social economically deprived area. We don't have a lot of high uh, banding properties in the city or even people in who are earning enough with the ability to pay uh, council tax. So therefore, adding that to the council tax bill means the people of Hull are paying twice. We're paying twice because it goes on to the council tax, but the council tax isn't enough to cover any... It doesn't even touch the sides of the deficit that's been created. But also, we're paying more for less because there is just not that help available. Another area that has seen particularly brutal cuts has been education, which as well as school funding includes the amount spent on things like Sure Start centres and adult education. The total amount that councils in the north have been able to spend on these services has been slashed by 36% in real terms over the last 10 years. Comparable figures on school spending specifically only go back to 2011-12. Since then, on average, schools across the region have seen a real terms cut of £649 per pupil. 
Peter Middleman, Regional Secretary for the National Education Union in the Northwest, explains what these cuts have actually looked like on the ground. And what that's translated into is a reduction in staff, both teachers and teaching assistants, uh, an increase, therefore, in class sizes, an accelerated dilapidation of school buildings and school equipment, a narrowing of the curriculum as some of the creative subjects which are less highly valued uh, by certain schools have, have been removed from, from timetables and, and altogether all-round poorer education sector for students. The, the, the quality of the educational experience is getting worse. They're going into schools with increasing numbers of drafty windows, leaking roofs, the equipment that they're relying on, both modern equipment but even books, pencils, pens and paper are in shorter supply and uh, uh, in classes which are regularly now above above 30 when our policy as a union is that secondary school classes should be below 26 so that teachers are able to spend a proportional amount of time with those students depending on their differential needs because of the pressures uh, in terms of numbers and because of the unmanageable, unmanageable um, administrative burden that teachers now have to uh, endure in terms of data marking, data and data collection, planning of lessons and uh, marking uh, and assessment. It means that the amount of time that teachers are able to spend with individual students is, is massively diminished from what it was 10, 15, 20 years ago. Workload is the, still the number one issue which is driving teachers away from the profession uh, at the same time because it's amongst the lowest in terms of graduate salaries uh, for teachers. We're not recruiting uh, teachers at the other end of the employment spectrum. The government have just announced that they've missed their recruitment targets in teaching for the seventh consecutive year. So there is a recruitment and retention crisis within the profession. Certain subjects mean uh, that the salaries are so uncompetitive that we've got teachers without qualifications beyond A-level in subjects such as physics and maths, for example, who are delivering those subjects right up to year 11. It's adding to the stress and workload of, of staff, but it's also clearly having a detrimental impact on the attainment of students. Charlotte Tomney has first-hand experience of school cuts, both as a primary school teacher in Greater Manchester and as NEU secretary in Bolton. When I first started, I was I was shocked because they were asking, um, this was one of the very first schools I worked at, asking children's parents to provide them with the, you know, things like pens and pencils, pencil cases. Um, so it, really from very basics, um, I've just seen T TAs having their jobs, um, their, their hours reduced and the, the impact that has is, is huge um, because teachers obviously have to pick up workload that was previously done by TAs. TAs aren't that happy that, you know, hours are being cut, there's job losses. There's so many problems that are arising in schools because of the school cuts. Workload is, um, I think for, I, I don't know a teacher that doesn't find workload um, re really a struggle, to be honest. Um, so directed hours just aren't enough to get the job done. People are exhausted. Um, you know, it, it's not uncommon for, for teachers to be on, say, WhatsApp groups at 11 o'clock at night talking to each other about, about work. Um, still, and people are still marking. People are still um, planning and trying to get ready for the day after. And it's the same at the weekend. 
I'm shocked at how many teachers are off with stress, anxiety, depression because of the job. Um, and they are, they're, they're wondering what on earth they can do instead because it's just too much. And, and these are good teachers. It's just teachers are shattered. They're, they're working so hard. And obviously it filters down to the children. If, you know, if teachers are so tired, stressed out, anxious, worried about what, you know, what they haven't managed to do. They are the other on eggshells. Um, it, it can't not go through to the children. I'm a mother and I'm, I'm worried about my children going through school because yet, just because I know from the inside of a school what, what it can be like when, when there are teachers that are struggling. The Northwide picture is very much reflected in Hull, where there has been an average cut of £624 per pupil since 2011-12. Peter explains that the situation is being exacerbated by the growing number of school-aged children in the city. So there's just over 36,500 school students in Hull schools at the moment. That's up from just under 34,000 five years ago. And each student is receiving less in the way of individual investment as a result of the government's cuts, notwithstanding the good work that head teachers, teachers, teaching assistants and local education authorities uh, are trying to do to, to mitigate the impact of those cuts. That means that there are 5,000 students in Hull schools who are now in classes of 31 or more and it tends to correlate the number of students in those large class sizes tends to have a correlation with the proportion of students in any local authority area who are in receipt of school meals free school meals so for the 25 percent of whole school children who are in receipt of free school meals they are perhaps receiving and a poorer education than some of the local authority areas in the immediate vicinity on, on both sides of, of the Humber. That's not to say, however, that East Ryden, North Lincolnshire and North East Lincolnshire are, are, are well off by any means. They're just less badly off than, than students in, in Hull are. Councillor Linda Tock explains what this has meant for schools and families in Hull. It's because, you know, their funding has been cut. They're having to be more creative. So what they're doing is they're having school events, to try and raise money. Um, and of course, if you've got very little money yourself, you know, those children and those families feel the worst hit because they've got nothing to give. It, do you know what I mean? Because they've been hit so hard. More recently, in fact, this week, children um, or families will have received a letter to say that the school dinners are going up again for the second year running. So they will have gone up 200% you know, um, over two years. So £1.50 per child. And the council subsidises, and so does health already, but they're still going to have to find £1.50. You know, and that is absolutely terrible. If you think of all of those children that I just talked about, you know, that are living in poverty, um, and those families are going to have to find that money. If children, we know as a fact, if children are not having a healthy diet and they're not eating, it has an impact on their education. And we're starting to see some of that coming through now already. You know, we're talking children here, and every single child matters. Another area that has seen even bigger cuts than education has been culture. Since 2010-11, the amount spent on cultural and related services in the North has nearly halved in real terms. In particular, libraries have been a target for local authority budget cuts, with the Chartered Institute of Public Finance and Accountancy estimating that the North has lost around 138 libraries since 2012. Laura Swaffield is the chair of the Library Campaign, a national charity that has been fighting for more public funding for libraries. Council cuts on library spending have been downright devastating. Um, if you look at the years since 2010. Um, in 2010, we had 
a national library service all over England, Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland, which cost just £1 billion for the whole lot of them. And that gave us 4,200 and something libraries everywhere. Now, since then, spending on libraries has been cut by a third, um, and 773 of those libraries have closed. What's more, a lot of the ones that are still open are now being run by volunteers, which in our view is not a library at all. You need staff in libraries, quite obviously, to help people use the internet and find the information they need and uh, just generally look after people who come in and make sure they get what they want from the library. So there's been also yeah, a massive decrease in staff overall from to over 24,000 to about 15,000 and that's a major worry. So it's a very bad picture indeed. We're worried already that a lot of libraries are turning to so-called innovations and bright ideas which means sponsorship from business and ways of trying to screw money out of people. This kind of thing is exactly what public libraries are not supposed to be all about. Laura explains why it's such a concern that so many libraries are closing their doors. All kinds of people use libraries. And one of the joys of library, in fact, is that you can find yourself in a library. You've got a homeless person sat next to a, a, a professor of Latin, or you've got a young mother in the same area as a disgruntled teen. Um, people get together in libraries because they're useful for all kinds of people and I guess the idea of a public service is that idea that you have a treasured, trusted space which all people can use and appreciate together. There's going to be all sorts of knock-on effects which aren't going to scream from the headlines, but the damage to people's lives in small and repeated and sometimes quite dramatic ways is, is going to be absolutely palpable. It's person by person, family by family. There's never going to be a great big headline about this or that but there's just going to be a reduction in people's educational standards, reduction in overall literacy, reduction in people's quality of life, reduction in people's incomes, all sorts of reductions to all sorts of people um, if they just don't have a library. There's a million, million little stories and a million, million bits of damage, and they're going to add up to quite a lot of damage, I think. In many cases, local libraries are only able to stay open through volunteers which Laura says is not an ideal solution. A lot of communities, the library campaign would never blame people for taking over libraries and trying to run them because the choice is always, a local authority says, either you run this library or we will close it down completely and flog off the building so you've lost it forever. So naturally they pitch in um, and try to keep them going. Um, I wouldn't criticise those people at all. But they are not librarians. A librarian is quite a skilled thing. In Hull, SIPFA estimate that the city has lost at least four library service points since 2012, with the number dropping from 17 to 13. However, many of the city's libraries have managed to stay open through creative money saving. For example, by changing location to a cheaper site. In the case of Anlaby Park Community Library, however, the service is now run entirely by local residents, library users and volunteers. Councillor Linda Tock also believes that volunteers should not be asked to run these services. In Hull, what they have done is they've managed to save some of them. But it's still not right. They've slashed those budgets. And what across the board in the country they've tried to do is to get, it, get them to be run by volunteers. You know, and that is just... <laughs> 
that is just a disgrace. You know, how are people going to ever work? Where do they think these people are going to come from? And we have lots of fantastic volunteers in this city that are doing really great jobs. Why would you want to put more pressure on them? You know, where will it end? You know, um, about people having to do things for nothing. I think it's really good. And, you know, again, I do volunteering myself. Um, I advocate volunteering, but we have to be careful about not replacing jobs. And like I say, where will it end? So far this episode, we've looked at spending on social care, education and libraries, but we've only touched on a few of the many public services that have seen cuts in the name of austerity. The fact is that this is just the tip of the iceberg and the true scale of these cuts goes far beyond what we've discussed here. Sarah from Unison explains what that means going forward. Everything has just been cut to the bone and beyond. And this, like as in all the other services, is going to lead to, you know, years and years ahead of just trying to get back to where we were, never mind improving things. As her colleague Nikki explains, these services will need to be overloaded in terms of funding to get services back to the state they were once in. You can walk down streets in this city and you see nothing behind these people's eyes that you know the increase in people taking spice because there's just no hope so if you're a child you know this is all learned behavior isn't it and it just perpetuates it's self-perpetuating so to try and you know to break that cycle of poverty in Hull and places such as Hull is going to be an absolutely massive task and that's why we need to have reinvestment into the services but we're going to have to overload it we're going to have to overload the services to get anywhere near back what we had in 2010. If you invest in the services, it saves money going forward because you spend much more money on on crisis than what you do on preventing crisis. So what does the future look like when it comes to funding for local services? Back in October 2018, then Prime Minister Theresa May declared an end to austerity, saying that after Brexit, the government will boost investment in public services while continuing to reduce debt. However, Brexit currently remains a big question mark and it's very unclear what it will mean for local council funding. In the meantime, councils are having to rely overwhelmingly on increases in council tax and business rates. Across the north, the spending power of councils did increase by 0.3 billion between 2018-19 and 2019-20, but the vast majority of that was due to increases in council tax rather than central government funding. Council tax now makes up 55% of northern council's spending power, compared to just 38% of the total in 2010-11. As we've already shown, that increase has been nowhere near enough to make up the deficit compared to 10 years ago, and that's felt particularly sharply in deprived areas such as Hull that are unable to raise as much as other areas. A Ministry of Housing, Communities and Local Government spokesperson said, We are investing in Britain's future and working hard to build a strong, prosperous northern powerhouse economy. Next year, we're giving councils the biggest increase in access to funding since 2015, £49 billion, an estimated 4.3% increase in real terms that will strengthen services, support local communities and help councils meet the needs of their residents. This year, Hull will have access to £214.6 million, a 2.4% increase from 2018-19. Investment across the Northern Powerhouse is a key priority for the government. However, a report from the Institute for Fiscal Studies suggests that the government's future plans don't look promising for local authorities. Their analysis of the Conservatives' election manifesto has revealed that the money they have allocated for local government would not be sufficient to meet rising costs and demands over the next parliament, even if council tax were increased by 4% a year, which is twice the rate of inflation. It means that further cutbacks to service provision are highly likely, or funding will need to be topped up somehow. Sarah at Unison says that more investment is needed to help the most vulnerable. You know, regardless of who's in government, 
it depends on what you want to be measured by. Do you measure yourself by the fact of how you treat the most vulnerable in your society? Or do you measure yourself by how great you get uh, contributions from the highest tax brackets? And that doesn't depend on who's in government. Uh, that depends on what you what your legacy is. The fact is, it's not about taking off everybody else um, and not earning what you have. It's about giving a fair playing field for those that haven't got. And this is, you have to invest in public services. Not everybody is born with the same advantages or privileges in life. And, you know, I get really sick and tired of hearing slogans like work hard and you'll be rewarded. Our members can work 60, 70, 80 hours a week and still rely on in-work benefits. The majority of people on benefits are in-work. That is something seriously broken with our society. So we have to invest in public services. We have to provide a safety net. Thank you for listening to another episode of The North in Numbers with me, Annie Goke. And many thanks again to all my guests for speaking so passionately about the issue. We're going to be taking a short break over Christmas, but join us again on the 10th of January for a New Year's special, where I'll be speaking to other data experts about how numbers impact our world. The North in Numbers is a laudable production.